0: Welcome, fellow lighting nerds and friends, to another episode of The Light Files, the lighting industry's podcast. My name is Lisa Bartlett. Thank you for joining me once again. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll start the episode with another plug for the Patreon page for The Light Files, patreon.com slash lightfiles. I'm pleased to announce that there are currently three patrons of this podcast, and only one of them is related to me. (laughs) So that's delightful. I really appreciate the support and um, the commitment to the podcast. Um, It takes a good amount of mental energy for me to put this together every week. It it started off, this won't be any big deal, it's only 20 minute episodes, but um, yeah, trying to come up with New and interesting things to say every week isn't as easy as I dreamed it would be, but um, but here we are, and the supporters of the podcast, uh, it's really going to help me uh, be able to do- devote more time to this, and uh, in devoting more time to it, I look forward to doing some interviews, um, so look for that coming later on this year. Um, when we do more interviews, but if, if you're able at all to support the podcast, the minimum contribution level is $5 a month, $60 a year. I know that's not nothing. Um, a couple nice dinners out. Um, so I appreciate anyone who's willing to make that commitment to this again, patreon.com slash light And thank you. Thank you so much. So I want to open light files this week, um, with a follow-up on my episode last week on vacation time um I got a really lovely response to this um from Jason Peterson of Hansen Lighting um with his input on how to do better at vacationing <laughs> and he just had such good uh suggestions that I really wanted to share them with everyone his suggestions are focused on uh being a showroom owner but I think no matter what your level um what what your job level is the the same ideas can apply so his suggestion is to use vacation as an opportunity to systematize your showroom and your daily tasks and it can really have a long-term effect on boosting your overall operations and processes so he said his suggestion was to pick one of your hands-on tasks that you perform and create a document that somebody else can follow to do the, do the thing. So one of the things that I do for my showroom, um, that I have a really hard time conceptualizing how I would turn over to somebody else is that I write all of the purchase orders for the showroom and writing purchase orders is a time-consuming process and there's just a lot of details to pay attention to about when you're submitting the POs, what's on them, if you have to put any codes on in order to get whatever promotion you're eligible for from the manufacturer. It's just a lot to keep track of and remember and successfully writing purchase orders By the rules, the manufacturers have prescribed to me in terms of like freight and discounts. um, It can make all the difference in the world and our margins as a showroom. It seems like such a silly thing. But, you know, if I need to do something on this day at this time to get free freight and an inside discount that can really help our margins, which really takes such a hit day in and day out in the showrooms. Um, so purchase orders is a big one for me that I have a hard time conceptualizing how I would turn over. But to Jason's point, if I started now, you know, months before my vacation, writing a procedure document of how it's done and fine tuning it and then turned it over to a qualified trusted employee... Um, it might be a really great way to not only just create a documentation and a manual for how the business is to operate. Um, but it would give me, you know, what I need in terms of a break from my everyday time consuming tasks so that I can enjoy myself on vacation. He, Jason had two suggestions and he said to ask yourself that if you're gone and you can only check on one thing a week. Like what question or like what question would you ask your you know designated task person to see if they are keeping up with the job? So like if you can only once a week ch- follow up with the person that's doing this task again, we'll call it purchase order writing. Um, what question would that be to be assured that you you have um, a handle on everything and that it's all still working according to plan? And then also his other suggestion was. If you had all the administrative and financial access that you could want while you're away, but you couldn't call in to your business, what would you check on? So, really encouraging who whoever's following this to keep top of mind like what are the critical keystones that you need to keep an eye on while you're away and not to worry so much about the little stuff down below that but to just really focus on the top level information and you know and this creates measurable points and reports that you can eventually hopefully hand off these tasks or to do items for good to uh, another employee um, Jason said, I'm this, I'm going to read this almost it's almost verbatim, but it really makes a lot of sense to me he said that owners add the most value to their businesses when they're working on their people and vision. So pass along as many tactical tasks, operations as possible so that you have more energy for growing your business and staff engagement. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, um, just have gone through the process of hiring two new, um, salespeople for my showroom. I actually hired, this is just, um, a wild story for me. I hired two people about two weeks ago. They both started on the same day and, um, two weeks into the job, one of the brand new hires quit and there's a whole convoluted story here and i'm sure there are so many more details than i actually know um it was just such um of all the experiences i've had managing people i've never had somebody start the job <laughs> and then quit 2 weeks in and the state where my showroom is located we have a 90 day trial period for all new employees like it's um state of state of georgia law so um you know, it's really no harm, no foul for employees to come and go during that 90 day period. Um, I've just never had somebody depart so quick in two weeks and it, um, it definitely revolved around a a personality, um, conflict or mismatch with another employee that they would have been working closely with. So, you know, in some ways it's all okay that this happened, but, um, to Jason's point about the value owners bring to a business, um, I wonder if I had been able to be more available and engaged, um, more often would maybe this have been avoided. And I do try to be very engaged with their new employees. I spend the first you know day with them as much as I can, but you know, um, my day-to-day tasks have, uh, a certain priority too. And so there's only so much I can do, um, with new staff members, you know, d- in terms of sitting with them all day long. So anyway, I do really appreciate this point that the more you can turn over these little tactical jobs to other members of your team, it really frees you up to do these bigger picture things that are really, really critical to the business. And maybe I wouldn't have been in this position of having hired two people one abruptly left and then I had to go and hire one other person. And that's what my whole week this week was devoted to was interviews and getting another person hired. And I'm super excited about this new hire that's coming in. And so, you know, one door, a door closes, a window opens, whatever that saying is. (laughs) So maybe this is all a blessing in disguise. Um, but it's just been one of those weeks (laughs) and uh I yeah just a lot to keep up with so I think this is all really good feedback and I really appreciated it because um well well depending on the pandemic I really am looking forward to this time off in November and I want to try to make the most of it so to the best of my abilities I'm going to start planning for that now Um, the other light file that I wanted to open this week is talking about manufacturer pricing policies now um i just have to put a disclaimer in here that there are you know laws and rules about talking about pricing and i do need to be careful and mindful of those so i'm going to speak as generically as possible and please just understand that it's not because um i don't want to just say what the rules and policies that we all know are i just want to you know be careful and mindful and, and and respectful of you know the federal government And, um, (laughs) and every manufacturer's right to make their own decisions for what works for their business. Um, so I, I do absolutely keep that in mind and I'm not trying to, um, disregard, you know, common knowledge. So just so you know that I'm, I'm just trying to, uh, err on the side of caution, but I do want to talk about something that happened in my showroom this week and how it really got me thinking about pricing policies with manufacturers um, of their goods to to all of their distribution channels. So pricing policies aren't just for independent lighting showrooms, they're for e-commerce retailers. Um, I assume if anybody sells direct to the trade, um, they're made aware of these pricing policies. I'm just honestly not really sure how that works, but um, regarding showrooms and e-commerce, the pricing policies are, are definitely in place. And... I know that showrooms get frustrated by these policies and there's the UMRP versus IMAP debate because there are so many ways around a pricing policy. There, you know, the one that I ran into this week was there was a website. It was a valid distributor for, you know, the manufacturer. Um, they had an open account and all that. Basically you emailed into them and made your best offer on a product and they would tell you whether that price was approved or not. Um, and you know, they were, you know, shipping out of state and offering no sales tax, uh, free shipping. And, you know, basically it was like a name, your price tool for, uh, light fixtures. Um, and you know, the customer that was sharing this information with me, they were getting a really hefty discount on their light fixtures, like uh, way heavier than when you would ever give anyone as a retail customer walking into your store who's been engaging with your staff and getting their opinions. and uh, you just would never price it that low because the you know margins and the margins are important. It's what pays our showrooms. Uh, salaries and our warehouse and our admin and allows us to pay our rent and electricity bill and all those things. Um, to, you know, the margins really matter and we can't go too low on every sale. So it was, um, it was just really, really frustrating. And then of course, because this customer got to use this name, your price tool with this other distributor, They came back to us and just firmly believed that every product we sold was wildly overpriced because they went to this online uh, company, got to name their price. It was a hefty discount. I'm just going to say it was 30% off of IMAP. I actually think it was a little more than that, but 30% off of IMAP um, and, and a standard IMAP policy. No, no extra, um, not a, not a, not a bigger IMAP, just a standard. You all know what I mean. Anyway, it was just over 30% off that. Um, You know, that's a really hefty discount. I don't think there are many of us that offer that kind of discount even to our best, uh, some of our best customers, or that kind of discount is reserved for best customers and volume. It's certainly not something that would be offered to a walk-in-off-the-street retail customer. But again, because she was able to do this name-your-price thing, everything that we sold and every price we put to this customer, after that, she was really sure was way overpriced and wanted us to match that same discount level on every single item. It was wildly frustrating. And it got me thinking about these pricing policies and why are they universal for all items? So let me explain, should the same rule apply to every single product a manufacturer offers? And should manufacturers maybe be more mindful of the, the tiers or the grades of the products that they offer? So a lot of manufacturers have an entry-level product, a mid-level product, and a high-level product. Um, and should maybe their pricing structures be looser or stricter according to the level of the goods. So if it's like an entry-level product, maybe there is no IMAP or a lower IMAP on those products. Um, We all know, well, I think I've heard this through word of mouth, so I guess I don't have um, concrete proof of this, but it's my understanding that e-commerce sales tend to be more in the entry-level goods, that if a customer is looking at mid and high-end goods, they still do want to go see those products in a showroom or work with somebody on it because if you're going to invest that much money in a product, you really kind of would kind of want to test drive it in person and get expert advice. So it's not just um, it's not just let me you know hit checkout now and spend fifteen hundred dollars on a light fixture or a fan that's not as common of a sale. So knowing that there are tiers of goods and that. Uh, e-commerce sales tend to live in the lower to mid tier of goods. Why don't manufacturers provide tougher pricing policies or increased margins in their pricing policies for their mid to high end goods in the line in their lines? It seems to make sense to me that if you have, you know, your your top tier of category product for manufacturer or whatever, that that product maybe shouldn't necessarily have an higher IMAP on it. You know, maybe that would price it out of the market, but maybe the IMAP in those cases shouldn't be an IMAP. Maybe it should be a UMRP or something, um, or maybe there should be a, you know, a maximum discount level off of that product or or something that would still be like reportable um, if, uh, if somebody was violating that discount, like, okay, this is the IMAP, you know, the maximum discount you can ever offer on this product is 20%. And then, if a showroom ever had proof that somebody else was discounting it more than that amount, um, we'd have a way to report it just the way that we can report, you know, IMAP violations today. Something I don't know that that discounting rule applies. I'm sure there's some sort of law that states that a manufacturer can't impose that kind of pricing regulation on its channel distribution. I'm really not informed enough about that to know. Um, I'm sure somebody that listens to this podcast is informed enough to know, and I would love to hear what the answer is on that. Um, But if there was some method of protecting these mid to higher end goods that we know for a fact people are more likely to go see in a showroom than they are to purchase online. Well, that really solves a lot of problems. It encourages people to go to the showroom. It helps the showrooms. It helps retain our margins. And it's not this like constant undercutting battle. Okay. We know that's the entry-level product The pricing is going to be all over the map on it. And, you know, people are going to sell it for whatever. Now, I'm not saying on the entry level product to eliminate IMAPs. I think that would be just kind of chaotic. Um, But I would definitely be okay with them being lowered on entry level products if there was a corresponding increase in mid to higher end products. Or, you know, maybe the lower end stays what it is and the mid to higher end, there's a change there. Something or some combination of this, but I just don't think it has to be one size fits all when it comes to pricing pricing uh, policies for goods. Because I don't think the one size fits all works. It's not acknowledging that some goods are are at, at a different level than others, and it shouldn't be a race to the bottom when you're selling a very nice light fixture or fan that is on the high end of the market. There should be no race to the bottom on that product. It should be as carefully protected as everything else. And I would argue even more so, and again, not just for the showrooms, but for the manufacturers to protect their brands and their quality and the perception of their quality. If there's a you know thousand dollar ceiling fan that um, you know, you can contact this company and always get for 600, $700. Yes. That's still, um, quite an investment of money, but it makes it, it makes you think, well, that fan wasn't worth a thousand dollars to begin with. So there, and that just sets up again, a real issue when people come into showrooms and they're like, but why? (laughs) And it's, you know, what do you go in the whole story of trying to explain your business and margins and why you have to, I mean, Customers don't want to hear it, nor do they care. But we understand how it works, so we as an industry really should be addressing this issue and protecting our margins better, the same way technology companies do. We need to be doing that in this industry, and I think it's a real fault of all of ours that we don't. And it's just something that we need to pay way more attention to. The pricing policies that were put in place basically haven't changed since online shopping really took off about 10 years ago. The policies have not changed in approximately 10 years or more. And think how much the world has changed in that same time frame. So we're using rules from 10 years ago to operate in 2021, and it's not effective, and it's not helping anybody's business. And I just, I just have to say from the showroom side, I sometimes get the feeling that manufacturers don't care. Because if they're selling their product to a distributor for $500, and the IMAP is a thousand, but manufacturer A quotes it for a thousand, or sorry, distributor A quotes it for a thousand, distributor B quotes it for 800, the manufacturer's still getting their $500 and they don't really care, but they should. And I think that's a problem over and over and over, that there's this lack of understanding of the damage caused downstream. I'm getting my money, so what do I care really what's going on? But it causes pervasive damage in the industry, and the channel that gets hurt the most is the independent brick-and-mortar lighting showroom. And that's what we really need to be focusing on. That's what this whole podcast is about. That's what (laughs) half of my life's work is about and will continue to be about because I just feel that we're not addressing and reacting to these changes quick enough I thought it was strange when I started in the industry that all the terms and conditions of sale um, basically hadn't changed in like 30 years for manufacturers. And I just felt like that was really odd that, you know, the manner of selling when I started in 2008 certainly wasn't the same as the manner of selling as in 1970, but the terms and conditions were the same for distributors and that just seemed wild to me. And then we tacked on these IMAP policies and, you know, the early twenty tens, late uh late twenty aughts. Um but you know here we are, you know, ten plus years later, and there's been no revision to them. Except to make in most cases the IMAP not as strong as it once was when they were first introduced. So just something to think about. I think there really is a way forward in all of these questions that I raise, we just need to take some action. And, um, you know, there, I don't think there would be anything wrong with having different pricing policies for different levels of goods that manufacturers offer. And uh, I think it could be helpful all around if we did that. Anyway, as always, thank you for listening. I appreciate all of your comments and feedback. Please keep them coming. Please support the podcast patreon.com/lightfiles and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Take care.